Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey there, this is Ingve uh, Malmsteen. You're listening to Talking Metal. All right, guys, this is Gary Vasganian from Maelstrom, and you're listening to Talking Metal, the world's greatest heavy metal podcast. <laughs> The best hard rock, the best heavy metal, Talking Metal, a podcast hosted by Mark Striegel and John Astronomy, available through iTunes and most other podcast providers. Feel the power, feel the glory, TalkingMetal.com. Hey, Mark Striegel here, checking in with you from New York City. We are underground at Johnny Utah's. I'm sitting next to John Astronomy, and John Astronomy is sitting next to... Some sort of creature, a bull, I guess. I'm sitting next to one of two mechanical bulls in Manhattan. And let me tell you, this thing looks like a real bull. It has a head on it. It has a horns, and uh, I don't even know if there's a, uh, what's that called, a, um, a saddle. Yeah. yeah, a saddle. Back in the saddle again, man. We are at Johnny Utah's. Right after we do this podcast, we're going to jump right on that mechanical bull and <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. All right, let's get into the music right now. A little sound sample of Children of Bodom. This is Needle 24-7.
that was needled 24-7 by one of our favorite bands, Children of Bodom. Go buy that on iTunes. Yeah, we'll have a link up in today's show notes. The iTunes version of that song comes uh, from Bam Margera's Viva La Band album. Sounds like we might be uh, hooking up with uh, Bam's brother, talking about some of the music he's working on. I'm trying to work that out right now. Bam and the lovely Missy, I think is his wife's name. They were on the Howard Stern Show last week. So the Margeras are definitely working the uh, the press right now. And let's not forget, both Bam and Missy appeared on Talking Metal a while back. Bam definitely loves metal. Bands like Children of Bodom and Viking Skull. He's a big fan of those, those bands. And... What else do we got here? Guns and Roses Chinese Democracy is out and kicking ass. So we're going to talk about that. But stay tuned. We got some great interviews coming up. Engve J. Malmstein. Engve is one of the, if not the, guitar god in metal history. Way back to the Steeler days, Alcatraz, and then, of course, Engve J. Malmstein's Rising Force. I interviewed Ingve a long time ago for Talking Metal, and then you recently hooked up with Ingve a few weeks ago. Yes, I did. We will check that interview out in just a bit. John, you got a letter over there? It says, hey, Mark. It's actually to you, but I'll read it. <laughs> just wanted to drop a note saying that my Saturday morning would not be complete without Talking Metal blaring over the nine speakers in my living room and kitchen while I get ready for the day and cook breakfast for my kids. Very cool. I do have one request. Would it be possible to cover more power or progressive metal acts? You two turned me on to some great bands I would not have heard otherwise. And this would be a great way to do the same in another genre for a lot of your other listeners. One of the best shows I saw last year was Symphony X and Epica. Absolutely over-the-top musicianship. I actually went to see Epica with Amana Somerville, but Symphony X was an in-your-face shred fest, and Russell Allen commanded the stage with such vocal prowess that he is now my favorite singer. My point is that Firewind, Nightwish, Hammerfall, Primal Fear, and the whole lot deserve more press coverage from metal outlets. And I like that metal was capitalized. These bands are carrying on the metal traditions of melody and great vocals while still keeping that metal edge. Keep up the good work. You are a greatly appreciated fellowship in music. And that is from Rick Shaw. And great letter. And why don't we uh, play a little Firewind? Yeah, here's some Firewind right now on Talking Metal.
that was falling to pieces by Firewind off of the Podsafe Music Network. And that's our good friend Michael Butler who runs that. Yes, he does. That's true. Firewind rocking us here in full on Talking Metal. I have a letter here. This comes in from Scott in Olean, New York. I must say, I just heard the entire album of Chinese Democracy, and I have to say that as a Guns N' Roses album, it sucked ass. As an Axl Rose solo album, it wasn't bad. It wasn't good either, just rather mediocre. Definitely not something I would ever, ever want to go see in concert. Just want to put my two cents... Just want to put my two cents in on this album and to let you guys know that all the hype and BS you raised about it was just that, BS. Guns N' Roses was, in my opinion, after... Oh, I'm sorry. Guns N' Roses was through, in my opinion, after the Use Your Illusion albums came out. Scott. All right, Scott. Well, uh, we respect your opinion here on Talking Metal, and we uh, disagree with your opinion. Yeah, definitely, Scott. I really love this new version of Guns N' Roses. And even if it wasn't called Guns N' Roses, I would be excited about this band. But I am actually glad it is called Guns N' Roses. And Mark and I have had so much fun and such a blast going to see the shows. What I would suggest is maybe you check these guys out live when they come around to your town. Because that may change your mind. Because those live shows were great, weren't they, Mark? Yes, they were. They were definitely great. I believe in this album. I think it's great. I know a lot of you guys believe in it, too. We've had an amazing response for the Dr. Pepper coupons that we're sending out. Free Dr. Pepper for you guys, 12. We're not talking about just one, but a 12-pack for you guys. I actually took one of the coupons, went into Target, got a 12-pack of Dr. Pepper, walked it up to the front, and just walked right out with free Dr. Pepper. Amazing, and thanks for... All of your responses, guys. We're sorry we didn't have more to send to you, but the first 15 people got them, and keep rocking. And thanks to Dr. Pepper, thanks to Chris at Dr. Pepper, and thanks to Guns N' Roses. And we were able to put this great contest together for you and give you 12 free Dr. Peppers. Yes, here's another letter. Guys, what a masterpiece. Much better than the Use Your Illusion albums. Almost as good as Appetite for Destruction. Axel keeps us waiting, but he never lets us down. Congratulations on the special thanks you guys got in the liner notes. Talking Metal kept the flame burning for an album. Uh, uh, all right. Talking Metal kept the flame burning for this album through the good times and the bad times. When does the countdown to the next Guns album start? Bill R. in Independence, Ohio. Uh, Bill? Thanks for your email. I'm not sure uh, when that. I think we might be done with Guns N' Roses countdowns. I'm not sure. Well, we'll see what happens when the next album, you know, starts to make some waves in the media. But you know what? I think Guns N' Roses is going to constantly work on new material, but they're going to do a great tour, in my opinion. I'm, I'm like 99% sure that would happen at some point. And... Uh, we're going to be there, and we'll cover Guns N' Roses whenever there needs to be some Guns N' Roses coverage. And for us, that's every day, because I would say Guns N' Roses is Talking Metal's favorite band. Definitely one of them, definitely. Robert Lee King posted a review of the album on our forums, TalkingMetalForums.com. He says, good show and great album. 
heard it Thursday night and listening to it again right now, it's a it's good, but it is not a Guns album. Sorry, Axel is a key part of Guns, but without Duff and Slash, it just isn't the same. He goes on. You can read his review. That's Robert Lee King on the Talking Metal forums. Robert, it's interesting. I agree with with some of what you're saying. It's a great album, absolutely. Uh, Our Duff and Slash missed somewhat, maybe, by some. Not by me, really, but Izzy is the guy who actually wrote a lot of the songs back in the day. So I think for you to say, you know, Duff and Slash and leave out Izzy is is a little crazy. But anyways, that was the old guns. This is the new guns. Everybody knows that. And the new guns is rocking better than ever. Amazing record. Yeah, man. My favorite song initially was better, and it still is one of my favorites, written by Axel and Robin Fink. My current favorite song is Sorry, and and it's no slight to better. It's just that I'm uh, you know getting into all the tracks on the record, and right now I've been listening to Sorry more than, more than ever. I love that song, man. I know that it has a Pink Floyd, in, uh, not influence, but it, it kind of sounds... Like it could be a Floyd song, and I think that's a compliment uh, to how great that tune is. But don't let that fool you guys. That chorus riff in "Sorry," in my opinion, is one of the heaviest. And I'm not talking like heavy thrash metal. I'm talking heavy as in powerful. That is one of the. I, I say maybe one of the riffs of the year, in my opinion. The chorus of "Sorry." I agree. I agree. Premonition also wrote a review of the album on our TalkingMetalForums.com. Premonition, of course, is a very prominent poster. He has over 3,055 posts on the Talking Metal Forums, and uh, he is out of Saudi Arabia, but I guess he spends a lot of time in Canada, too. Uh, He goes through it track by track. Uh, He, let's see, I'll just read a little bit he says better everyone's heard this song before good song very catchy for sure the drums sound a little more polished than before uh that's that's a great comment the drums do sound more polished on better and that's because they replaced the drums that you heard in the leaks with frank's drums frank ferrer covering the drums on songs like chinese democracy and better yeah it's so cool to hear frank's beat over the track because it's just really killer and let me tell you guys uh, for for all of you non-drummers playing to a click or playing to music that has already been recorded is really hard to do unless you're a killer drummer and that says a lot about frank and it says a lot about brain who uh apparently replaced a lot of josh freeze's stuff and Josh Freese, of course, is an amazing drummer. So, you know, we've got basically three great drummers, at least, involved in this record. And it's just amazing. You know what I think is really neat is that Josh Freese co-wrote the song Chinese Democracy. That is true. Chris Pittman wrote two of the better songs on the uh, album, too. So a lot of great songwriting involved, a lot of great playing. You should know that Bumblefoot and Robin Fink are the only two guitar players credited on every song. I found that kind of interesting. It was also a little strange that Axl Rose did no press for this record. There was no press from Axl. I mean, when you compare that to Metallica, who, like, were on every FM radio station from, you know, Fort Wayne, Indiana to, you know, L.A., uh, it's a little little crazy. And the album sold very well. 
One cannot help but wonder if it may have sold a little better if Axel would have done some press, but he chose not to. Yeah, I think at this point Axel Rose can choose to do whatever he wants to do. And like he says in Chinese democracy, all I got is precious time. And you know what? If he wants to put out an album another 13 years, we'll be there to buy it. If he wants to do press in 13 years, we'll be there to listen to it. And if Axel wants to come on Talking Metal, we'll be there. Day or night, we'll fly to L.A., we'll do it anytime he wants because we love Axel and uh, would love to get Axel on Talking Metal. Absolutely. We want to thank Guns N' Roses for the special thanks that we received. Special thanks to John and Mark from Talking Metal on Chinese Democracy. That is quite awesome. And what's really amazing, it's one of the very first special thanks as well. Yes, it is. It's it's insane, really, dude. It's a great album. I love it to death. Uh, I have the vinyl. I listened to it straight through numerous times over the weekend. It is great stuff. And, And the media agrees with me. Rolling Stone, Billboard... The Orlando Sentinel, all rave reviews. Uh, BraveWords.com, a rave review of Chinese Democracy. Absolutely, guys. Let me tell you what I did to support Chinese Democracy. I bought the Chinese Democracy single of iTunes. I downloaded the album from iTunes. I bought the CD at Best Buy. I bought the vinyl at Best Buy. And... I don't know if you saw this, Mark, but inside, you have to look closely inside the dust cover. There is a coupon to download another digital copy of it for free if you bought that vinyl. I did see that in my vinyl copy. Some negative reviews, not many. The New York Times does not like Chinese democracy. Uh, The New York Times is a, a, a paper that's going bankrupt. It's not doing real well lately. And these music critics that write for the New York Times are a bunch of, like, Brooklyn stuck up Williamsburg indie rock guys that aren't even New Yorkers. They've, you know, transplanted here when they were 22 years old. They're so stuck up and full of themselves, and they think they know everything there is to know about music. Uh, And uh, these guys at the New York Times can go to hell, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I bet that if... If this album, you know, if it was the same music, but it said Slash Duff and Matt Sorum or Steven Adler and Izzy, they'd probably give it a, like a five-star review. But just because they think that for some reason, because this is a different version of the band, that it's somehow not as, as good is bullshit, in my opinion. Yes, that's true. S- Chinese Democracy sold... 51,000 copies in the United Kingdom, which is a much smaller country than the U.S., on its first day. Now, let's put this in perspective. Mick Jagger's last record, Got Us in the Doorway, sold 1,000 copies on its first day in the United Kingdom. Again, a lot smaller country than the United States. Um, Robbie Williams, one of the biggest-selling artists in the United Kingdom. He's not that popular over here, but he's enormous over there. His last album sold 54,000 copies on its first day. And the biggest selling album of the year in the U.K. so far has been Oasis, Dig Out Your Soul. And that actually sold 90,000 copies on its first day. So what I'm saying here is Chinese democracy is rocking the United Kingdom. A lot of Guns N' Roses fans over there embracing this album. Absolutely, man. Worldwide, there are Guns N' Roses fans, and they were hungry for Chinese democracy, and they are out there showing their support. And, yeah, and heck with those leaks, because all of the true fans are still 
flocking to Best Buy, flocking to the stores in the other countries, and they're buying Chinese democracy because, you know, I don't think those leaks hurt it at all. I don't either. A big cheers to Guns N' Roses, Talking Metal Toast. We are both drinking Blue Moon with an orange slice in the glass. And it, I have to say, it's very, very good. And I have to say, this is Engve Malmstein. I checked in with him at his hotel in New York City a few weeks back. Let's check it out. We are here just south of Central Park in New York City with the one, the only, Engve Malmstein. Engve, how are you? Very good, thank you. Very good. Tell us about staying in New York. You've been staying at this hotel, you said, for years. Why this hotel? Well, I, I, I started staying here back in when I was in Alcatraz was in 1984. And they turn turn hands, changed hands a lot of times. But uh, I like it very much. It's a good location and everything. So we tried other hotels. We all come back here anyway. It sounds like a commercial or something. <laughs> Do you spend a lot of time in New York? I know you uh, were here for the Eddie Trunk show that you taped recently. And, and are you here a few times a year? I think this year I've been here eight times. Wow. Yeah. But we're here for some, some just business also, you know. Only two hours away, so. Very good. Now, the new album, Perpetual Flame, sounds awesome. I downloaded it on iTunes. We will have links up in today's show notes, guys, to download this. So do yourself a favor and download Perpetual Flame by Engve Malmsteen or by the CD, Engve says. Do you prefer people buy the CD over MP3s? It sounds much better. Really? It's always not night and day. Because the digital compression takes... It's like, you know, like pixels in the camera? You have 10 pixels of 3 pixels. That's the difference. So you, you, the whole dynamic comes out on the CD. I mean, you know, MP3, iTunes is fine. It's good, you know, but it's not as good. Plus you get all the artwork and stuff, yeah, which I think oh, is yeah. important. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you know, back in the LP days, you know, and um, I'd rather go buy an LP than uh, a lot of my friends they would, like, just tape it, you know. I was yeah. on a cassette, just... But it was not bought cassette, taped their own cassette. And I would say, oh, well, you don't have the artwork, you don't have this and that. So, you know, it's just a fan thing, I guess. That's, what, that's why I used to do it in a way, you know. I think the artwork was always an important part of the uh, listening experience. For me, you know, I could get lost in, like, an Iron Maiden cover while listening to the music. Absolutely. You know, that's, that, that's for sure. I mean, I, I agree with that 100%. Now, on the new record, you a lot of great people involved with this record, but let's start off with Tim Ripper Owens. How did you guys hook up together? Where did you did you know him from your past, or was it a recent meeting? Well, we, we did something together a few years ago, but we were in diff, two different studios, so we didn't meet up that time. Of course, I knew of him, he knew of me. Um, what happened was that I started writing the songs for this album, and I went in a studio and recorded the backing tracks and everything, and, and I went on tour and I came back and everything. So I was working on this album quite a long time before I realized that I needed to get another singer. And it's before Tim, you know? Because I write the lyrics and everything. Like that. So I know what, what I'm going for with that. And uh, by the time I had songs like Death Dealer and uh, Live to Fight Another Day and, you know, all these songs all set, finished, you know? I decided I have to, you know, go somewhere else. And, and Tim's name came up, and we, I said, oh, that sounds great, let's do that. And he came down to Miami, and the, the rest is history, you know. Now, when you demo these songs, being that you write the melody and, and lyric lines, do you sing on the demos yourself? Sometimes, sometimes. Uh, but what I do is that I have the arrangement 
first done up with that. When I come up with ideas, I have uh, I put it, put it down with keyboards and guitar and drum machine, and then I go into a live room with a drummer, and he would put live drums on, or fresh, new again, new new take, yeah. And I put bass, guitars, and keyboards down on that, so that's that's done now. That, that's finished, and by uh, during that period, I write the melodies and the lyrics for the song, and sometimes I I, I do the line on the guitar, sometimes I just sing it to the singer. I go here. Here's how it goes. Here's the lyrics, and here's the melody. Right. It's pretty specific, you know. And I've done that always. Um, except I've done a couple albums where you know I just came up with the melody, and the lyrics were written by the, the words were written by the singer. And uh, most of the time, I say almost 99.999 percent of the time, I was went away not being so happy with that because. I feel that that's part of the, the creation and part of the, the expression that I want to do, want to make, you know. Uh, that, the words, are, to me, are very important. And um, so if you, if you actually read the words on my, my albums, uh, especially the last one, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of little hidden messages, little cryptic, uh, subliminal, you know, things. There you go, guys. Let's study these lyrics and see what we can find out. Now, they're printed out on the, on the CD cover, yes. Another reason to buy the CD over the MP3s. Now, Roy Z is a guy who has been involved in so many great albums recently, and his albums always sound great. And I know you produced the record, but you had Roy mix it. Were you a fan of his work, uh, some of the other stuff he's done with maybe like Halford or any of these other guys? Well, you know, I've, I've, I knew of him. But I didn't know him per se like that, and I, um, I usually I've used many years now. I've used Mike Frazier, who's very good as well. Um, but uh, so I think it was KK Downing. I was talking to him, and he he said you should try Roy Z. And I, I called him up, and he said of course, and da da da. And wow, did we ever hit, we hit it off amazingly well? You know, it was we had the same vision completely. You know, I mean, I I obviously produced and wrote the music and all that stuff and I had it, it was finished, parts were finished but to put it all together it's another procedure altogether as well so, so it was great, to, he was really a pleasure to work with awesome. And, and awesome. would he like post stuff for you or would you actually go to the studio and listen to stuff with him? I was, no I, no. he was in my studio I, I, have, I have two studios you know. It's not like you send him the tracks or Oh no, 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 he came down we, we did it together I have the luxury of owning two studios, and uh, I had them built back when studios were really built as a specific place. You know, like I had a guy called John Arthur, who's a very, very famous uh, studio designer. I tuned the rooms; the t- rooms are tuned, you know, with the hardwood floors and the, all the treatment on the walls, and and I have all the, the tube gear, and outboard tube, tube compressors, and moving faders, and you know, like. You know nothing like what you guys some some people have nowadays, like a little Pro Tool system. No, I, no, this is. I even have the two-inch tape machines. You know the studios and all that stuff, which I don't use anymore. I, don't, I use hard disk recorders, but I use uh, everything is live mic'd up with with two microphones and to go through SSL and Neve and that is very very very. Um, um, how should I say? I don't know who how what to compare to because it seems like a lot of studios have gone under now. It's a bad scene for the studio guys. See, I only use it for myself. I have one really big soundstage that I do. The, we, we rehearse there as well, but it's, that's like good for live drums. It's a huge, really high ceilings. And then I have three recording rooms in the, in the other place. And it's um, for the vocals and mixing and guitars and everything. I have always hardwired a Marshall setup, 
you know, it's, it's really good. So, uh, so that, yeah, that's why, of course, I, I wanted him to come down to me. Sure, Because he's all there. And you also worked with Derek Sherinian on this record. I know you played on his uh, Blood of the Snake album a few years back. Was this kind of him returning the favor to you? Yes and no. I mean, we known each other for a long time, and he was—he's been on the road with me a lot. He's been—he played on Attack. I played on two of his albums, I think, maybe three. Even. Can't remember now. Um, we go way back. We're real good pals, you know. And uh, yeah. Cool. I wanted to dip into your past a little bit. Can you share some of your memories of when you first came to this country? I know you, I think you had appeared in the Mike Varney column in, in Guitar Player magazine. Was that before or after you came over here? That's part A of the question. Part B, what was it like coming to America for the first time and seeing the crazy scene out there in Hollywood and all that? Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, I, I get this is going to be a pretty long answer. I, I, I started out as a little kid. I was the youngest kid in my family, our family. And I got my first time when I was five years old. And my older brother and sister were like great violinists, pianists, and all that, you know. And um, then I started, I saw Hendrix on TV the day he died, actually. Uh, they showed him on news, just burning his guitar, and I didn't hear the music. It was just seeing Monterey pop. I saw that, that's what I wanted to do. I started playing, I was seven then. And I started playing extremely fanatically, and I started playing that day. And but a year later, I had purple albums, and and I learned all the bits and pieces. So I was in bands from the point I was like 11, 10 or 11, yeah. Like really in bands though. You know, sometimes I was in bands with the rest of the guys at 20. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I put together little bands with, with my classmates and we would have like flash pots and smoke machines and Marshall stacks and everything. It was crazy, man. And so I did this for a long, long, long time. And in Sweden at the time, it was a very socialist uh, attitude. The country was not a, a, a country that would welcome anyone doing something on their own. They, they, this was you had to do it this way or no way, and that didn't work good with me, you know. Right. And uh, I mean, I, I actually I even got drafted into the army when I was eighteen. So that was really? that was yeah. Oh no, this is there's some bad things happening, but that's okay. Hey, um, I jumped forward a little faster. What happened was my uncle was also um, uh, part of the team R and D team for Philips, the, part of the team that de- developed CD technology. So he, he was always there to help me out with, like, wiring stuff and stuff like this. And he had built a studio in the 50s. So I recorded myself all the time. So my tapes were floating around everywhere. And then one day I bought a guitar player magazine, and I said, okay, this is interesting. You can send your tape in here. So I sent my tape in. I was, like, 17. And I sent my tape in. I didn't expect anything from it. I really, I really, honestly, I didn't. Right. And I never, never had an idea or plan to go to the States because it was so far, you know, and all that, you know. And so I thought maybe London, maybe London, you know. Right. That was, you know, realistic, almost. And before I knew it, the phone was ringing off the hook like crazy. They were like, whoa, they're going crazy. All these people from Kiss and from the Night Rangers Management, and I, I can't even remember all the people calling right. me. And they were like, you hot, you hot, and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's just a kid in Sweden. I didn't know nothing, you know, I mean, from that stuff. So then Mike Varney called me up, and he said, you got to come over here. You have to. This is, this is, you just have to. And I'm like, well, I don't even know where I'm going, you know. Yeah. At the time, I had a, an apartment, a girlfriend, and everything, you know, my band and all that stuff. So I said, okay, I'm off. I took one guitar, one extra pair of pants, and I went. This, the reason I so told you all this stuff is because I had been doing it for a long time with no, right, no nothing. One, no one it was just yeah. banging your head, you know. I came to L.A. And I remember the first time we played with Steeler, there was 30 people there. First show I ever did in the States, 
30 people were there. Next weekend, we were playing the Troubadour in Santa Monica. And I'm looking down the window the, on the street. I'm warming up before the show. And I see all these people. It's like a snake of people all along the street. And I say to somebody next to me in the room, there's a, in the restaurant, I say, man, you see all these people? Who's playing tonight? And guy points at me and says, you are playing tonight. 30 people became 1,000 people in one week. And the next week, more than that. We played Roxy, we played Whiskey, we played all these places. And all of a sudden, within weeks, I was the talk of the town. And, man, I will, it, was, it was like, what is happening? I'm not doing anything different than I did in Sweden. I mean, I'm playing a little simple, simpler band. My band was not that basic, you know. When Rising Force, my band, Rising Force, I formed in 78. And I had a thousand different bass players and a thousand different drummers. And I would just be the singer and the, the guitar, guitar player and, you know, write everything and, you know, and so forth. So, and it wasn't commercial at all. I mean, it was Black Star was in, in the set. The Nine Ships of Burn was in the set. Uh, parts of Rising Force riff was in there, stuff like this. So it was some cool riffs, but um, it didn't have, um, and, and it wasn't, um, the L.A. thing was, that, no, by the time I came there, by the way, it was before everybody hit it big. And it was Dokken and Rat and Wasp and all these bands running around the rainbow and rocks in, you know. So I remember all this. Um, but it was so funny because then, then we said, okay, good, let's go to San Francisco. I went up north California to record an album with Steeler. And I did it in one day, you know, the whole thing. Which, really? Yeah, you know. But it, it's okay, I guess, you know. And had you, you'd left Steeler before the album was even released, right? Indeed. In fact, I left Sweden before that article was out in the guitar player as well. Oh, wow. So it, things happened really quickly, you know. By the time that was in print, that guitar player magazine, I was already in the States. Yeah, okay. You know what I'm saying? From me sending the tape right. to it being... So it happened extremely quick, you know. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. And then with Alcatraz, I was only 19 when I was in Alcatraz. We went, went all over the world with, in Japan and everything. And the Grand Bonnet was, like, really big there. So it was, like, going to Japan. It was, like, being the Beatles, man. Back in the early 80s, man, it was, like, the, Japan was, it was amazing, man. And they said, oh, we, we want to give you a solo deal, they said to me when I was there. And I go, okay, good. But it has to be instrumental, they go. And I go, no, no, I don't want to do instrumental album. I don't want to, I said. Right. And look at that album now. That's now the, yeah, it's, a classic. it's really, you know, kind of funny. Um, anyway, so uh, I did the album. Started it and went back on tour with Alcatraz and, and I came back and did a couple, you know, takes and went back again. And um, then I left. We had a little blowout, you know. But I left and, and I just finished that album out and then went right, right into launching out, you know. Yeah, I mean, all four of those albums, Steeler, Alcatraz, whether well, it was the live Alcatraz too, but then your first two solo records, I mean, they just came out like bang, bang, yeah. bang, bang. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy, man. I mean, uh, Rising Force and Marching Out was recorded back to back, pretty much. Pretty much. We didn't do, I didn't do any shows for the Rising Force albums. Right. So when we were on the road, we were touring for both those two albums because the Rising Force album became released here eventually. It wasn't meant to be. It was meant to be in Japan only. But then it sold on import, so so much it got onto the Billboard chart. As it, it was really strange, you know. Yeah, because it wasn't commercial and didn't have any promotion, nothing. And uh, I don't know, it must have had something. Word of mouth spread fast, it sounds like. I remember that I saw you for the first time live. It was you were out promoting March, uh, Marching Out and Rising Force, of course, and it was with uh, 
opening for ACDC right. at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember that tour very well. It was a great tour. We had so much fun. It was, it was uh, those guys. Oh, man, I love those guys, man. What a great band. What a great band. Yeah, it was a great show. Bringing it back to contemporary times, it's some great stories. Thanks for sharing them, by the way. Uh, but Guitar Hero is a video game. Now, I've been told that once you get to a certain level, you can get a award or a status in the video game, which is the Engve Malmsteen status. Are you aware of this? Yes, I am. How do you feel about, A, being a part of the Guitar Hero world, which is such a... Uh, big part of the culture now here especially in the states uh, and what do you think about v- video games where kids aren't even really playing guitar but they're pretending to play guitar video games like guitar hero and rock band uh actually i think it's a good thing because rock band and guitar hero i think these games exposes the kids to the more high quality rock and roll uh, than was and they, these kids I don't know how they, the age group is my son is 10 years old and he, he has them but he doesn't play them so I don't know um, uh, I, I, th- I, I think it's, it's I think it's a good thing personally because I think that's part of the reason that, that the whole scene has be, become so uh, so uh, you know welcoming for this music and what, what the kind of music that I do you know and other bands also Cool. Uh, one of my favorite things I have uh, by you is a DVD, which came out a number of years ago, where you're playing with a full orchestra, and uh, I think it's in Japan. Is that where that was recorded? If you could talk a little bit about the difference between playing with a rock band and playing with a full classical orchestra, and maybe share some memories of that experience with us. Oh man, yeah, that's good. Uh, here, here's what happened. I had a long dream that. And no, no, I'm not saying anything. I'm not knocking all the other bands that do have had their thing with symphonies because it's very cool. But what they were doing, and all, that, this includes all of them, was that they were playing their songs and they had an arranger put strings on it or a symphony behind it with it. And that's great. That's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to compose in a very traditional way uh, a concerto concerto is three movements mine is 12 so I call it a concerto suite this is technical things uh, where I'm just taking the role of a violin or a flute or whatever the, the solo instrument so I I, I, I composed um, this piece specifically for electric guitar solo guitar and orchestra and this is very different from, from uh, what uh, other rock people have done in the sense that it doesn't involve any rock music at all. This is classical, uh, you know, very much in the classical vein. Of course, it's not classical because I composed it. Um, and so that that was definitely my goal. And, and I, I went to Prague and I had um, the... In fact, I, I did the whole thing and I met the guy at... Uh, I did an interview like now with a kid in Atlanta one time uh, before this whole thing went down. And I started telling him that I'm composing this symphonic, uh, you know material and the next to him is an older guy and you know I found out later on that this is that's his father but his father happens to be um, John um, oh god I can't believe John Levy I think it is oh, okay. uh, um, he had head conductor for Atlanta Symphony oh wow 
And he hears, he listens to everything I says. Then afterwards, he says, "Really, you doing this?" I said, "Yeah." And it's, he introduced himself. I'm, oh wow! And he says, "Can I hear some of it?" And I had a tape and I played a CD and I played him some stuff. And he goes, "You know, when you do this, I really want to be involved." Wow! So he came to Prague to conduct the, the Czech Philharmonic. This was very, very good. And uh, we had three days to do it, two sessions a day, from nine to twelve, from one to four. Three, hour, three hours, one break, and three hours. And when I first went there, the first day, I came in and we started recording. It sounded awful. And I was going, oh, my God, oh, my God, my life's work is like, it's ruined. You know, my dream is gone. I'm not going to get another shot. You know, it sounded, what is, what is this? What is this? The orchestra was just not jelly, you know. And then break comes. And they run downstairs in this place in the cellar and they start drinking like crazy. And... Um, and I'm like, oh, I go to the conductor, no, 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 no. What are they doing? They're going to ruin my life. And they come back after a drinking break and they play everything perfect. So it's really funny. However, that was the recorded symphony like that. And then I put the guitars on in Miami on my good time. That was 1997. 2001 comes around. I'm on the tour in Europe. Uh, I'm in England. I do the gig in England. And you gotta, you gotta remember something. I never played this with an orchestra, ever. Right. I never played the whole piece from beginning to end. And I certainly didn't do it in front of people before. So anyway, I'm doing a gig in London. We, we drive straight uh, from the gig to Heathrow. I fly to Tokyo. I mean Tokyo. I have one hour, two hour rehearsal with the, with the orchestra. And then, they, okay, tomorrow t it's time to uh, record this. We gotta film this now. I'm like. You people, you gotta understand something. I, you know, I don't, I don't read. I, I read, but I don't. I didn't have it scored out for me, so I have to memorize all this, which is a lot of written stuff, but it's also improvised a lot of improvised things. And on top of it, they had they had uh, rearranged five of my original tracks that I never heard before, and then I had to rearrange it all night long with the arrangers. No, 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 this is the wrong. You gotta put 16 notes here. This and that. Is that all Next day, I know the cameras are running, and I'm saying to myself, okay. This is going to be a great fiasco, you know. And you can't go in and fix afterwards. Because it's, it's not like... Uh, you can't. It's just it's all recorded in one take, you know. It's right. not multi-track, nothing. <laughs> and I don't know what happened that day, but somebody must have smiled down at me. Someone has to be there. That, because I'm telling you, it just... It happened, man. And I never played it all in one go. You can remember, I never, I, and it was a few years later, I never remember, memorized this stuff, you know. And then they had rearranged Brothers and Far Beyond the Sun and Trilogy and all that. I'm like, man, this is, and it, it happened, it worked out. And I'm, I'm really pleased with it. It's a great watch. You guys should check it out. It's Concerto Suite for Guitar and Orchestra on DVD by Engve Malmsteen. In E flat minor. In E flat minor. Oh, there sure. you go. Oh, uh, boy, what else? Do you, do you listen to a lot of classical music still? I do, but to be honest with you, I don't really listen to music. I, I, I'm, um, I listen to music when I drive, but I drive the kind of cars that have really, really, really loud engines, yeah. and um, that's part of the experience, and the roof comes off. So there you go. Um, most of the time when I listen to music is when I work, actually. I, I have a song that's not complete, and I have it in the car, and I sing with it, and I come up with different ideas of harmonies and stuff, arrangements, from the demo stage up until it's finished, the mix. 
you know, we, me and Roy would always take my Ferrari out like this. That okay, now we gotta listen to the mix with the car running and all that stuff. So that's basically it's more like a work thing for me. So music, the the, the influence that what made me into what I am today is the fact that when I was very 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 young, like eight years old, I was fanatical about playing Purple, note for note, and learning all of it. And go, going from loving the, the hard sound of Marshall Stacks and all that stuff to becoming infatuated with Johann Sebastian Bach and Vivaldi as far as the, the counterpoints and the, the melodies and the inversions and scales. And uh, then eventually Niccolo Paganini's violin work, which is one track on the new album, is very, very inspired by Paganini. It's called Capricci di Diablo. Uh, that was so ingrained and hardwired into my brain and every fiber of my soul you know that that i don't need to think about that anymore that that just happens like the chorus and death dealer it sounds like a bach inversion but it's not it's just something that i felt that came natural to me that, that that's what should be in the gg you know and um so music music has um had of course the most profound influence on me during my grown up years but not anymore. It, it's nothing that influences me. And classical music, I, I love it. I can listen to it all day long. But, it, you know, I have Mozart and Vivaldi in the car, probably. But it, most of the time, it's, it's not, you know. I'm more into movies and sci-fi channel. There you go. And you like scare tactics, you said. Have you seen scare tactics with uh, Tracy Morgan hosting? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, it's it's nice to know we have you as uh, a viewer on the Sci-Fi Channel. What other shows do you watch? Battlestar Galactica or Ghost Hunters or anything like that? I, I don't follow anything specific. I'm just into a general idea of anything. I mean, I love everything from the the very first Twilight Zones, you know, from the '60s to X Files. I like I like anything that has to do with anything like that. But you know, like Underworld and movies like that. You know, do you see the new X Files movie? I did not. I was going last night. I was going to watch it. Is it good? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. I heard mediocre stuff about it, but uh, like you, I was a big fan of the of the show back in the day, and uh, need to check it out. Definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, and one last question for you, Angry. Do you still have to spend a lot of time practicing your chops on the guitar? Because it sounds like you're just as clean and and fast and proficient as you were back in the day. And does that take a lot of time each day, like sitting down and playing and practicing? Not really, not really. Uh, I do play. I usually have a guitar on by you know by the sofa in front of TV, you know, or something. A little Marshall there, um, and and I, I, I tend to play, you know. But practicing, I never did anyway. I mean, practicing is a different thing. Practicing is uh, repeating things. Da, 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 da. I never done that. Uh, yesterday I did an interview for Guitar Edge, I think it was. And um, they wanted me to show some licks. And, and um, I said, oh, my God, I haven't played for a day or two because I've been doing so much press. And I played the guitar, but it felt okay. So so I'm, I'm, I am I'm definitely keep it... Uh, I'm very particular about not losing the the drive behind it because yeah, I want to be... Plus, I just came off a tour, which is the best yeah. for, for you playing, you know. Sure. Yeah. So, but no, but I keep it up. I keep it up for sure. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Metal. If we could get an ID from you saying your name and that you're listening to Talking Metal, that would be great. Hey there, this is uh, Ingve Malmsteen. You're listening to Talking Metal. Great. Thank you so much. Enjoy your stay in New York. Thank you very much.
was Death Dealer off a Perpetual Flame by Ingve J. Malmsteen. You got to check out the credits on this. The songs were composed by Ingve. They were performed by Ingve. They were produced by Ingve. Ingve is amazing. He plays, you know, bass, guitar, lead guitar, guitar synth, acoustic guitar, anything you can think of. Ingve can play it, and a lot of that work is on this record. He is unbelievable. Yes, he is unbelievable. And this is our friend Gary, who you guys saw on the Talking Metal on Fuse TV show. He has a great band, Maelstrom, which uh, has a lot of history. And let's check in with Gary right now, and uh, he'll take us out today. So big shout-out to all the Talking Metal fans. Check us out on Twitter.com slash Talking Metal and, of course, MySpace.com slash Talking Metal. Absolutely, and Gary, man, you're one of our favorite Talking Metal family members. Let's get into the interview with Gary from Maelstrom. Hey, it's Mark Striegel here checking in with you from Mustang Sally's on 7th Avenue. We have Gary Maelstrom here. And you were kind enough to join us on our Talking Metal on Fuse television show. Some of the Talking Metal listeners might remember you from that. But they need to get to know you. Not because of your appearance on Talking Metal, but because of your music. I want to talk about your band, the history, and the future. So let's start off with the future. Maelstrom has a brand new CD coming out, which has some amazing artwork, some amazing liner notes, which I read, written by Martin Popoff. And let's talk about this. Where was this recorded? Mark, this was actually recorded at... I would say it was actually recorded at four different studios. Our drum tracks were recorded down. What I did was I wound up trying to, trying to be nostalgic because this stuff was written 20 years ago. I wanted to get involved, the original guy who recorded our demo tapes from back in 91, you know, between 89 and 91. So I found this guy named Greg Marchek, who was the guy who had recorded that material, and he was working out of a place called Audio Labs down in Tampa, Florida. He had done some work with, uh, he worked out of Morris Sound also, but his main place was uh, this place, Audio Labs. So I called him up, and he just couldn't believe, you know, that we were doing it again, and he was, like, so happy to hear from us. It was amazing because we hadn't talked in almost 17 years at this point. And uh, he was like, the last thing I would expect was you guys to give me a call out of nowhere, and, you know, think so. So... Basically, uh, after we got all our chops together, we got the new drummer uh, all, all locked in. We uh, hopped on a plane, went down to Tampa, Florida to record our drum tracks with Greg Marchek. Uh, probably about two months, maybe a little bit more, after we recorded those tracks, uh, we got them. They came back up to us uh, to begin guitar work. Uh, I went to go send some of the first guitar cuts down to him to check out because he was going to be doing the vocals and the, and the mix, and um, he had died. Yeah, so uh, it was really heavy. It, it was really, really, uh, it was kind of difficult. Um, he was an old, old friend. Like I said, he had been, you know, we got him involved because... How old was he? He was in his mid-40s. He died of a stroke. Yeah, he, uh, he, he lived a hard, you know... He lived a hard rock and roll life, you know. He was—he definitely lived that way. So, you know, it was—it was, uh, was really—it really sucked. It was a blow to the scene too, because I mean, he did all of John Oliva's stuff. He was uh, Trans Siberian Orchestra's um, live engineer for at least half of their tour, uh, like one leg of the tour. Every time they came around, was he was a live engineer for it. So, I mean, it was kind of a blow to the whole scene. But 
you know, we had reacquainted after 17 years, and it was just just sucked to see him pass about six months after we, we cut the drum tracks with him. So uh, at that point, we were kind of stuck for, uh, you know, where were we going to cut the rest of the material? So, and most importantly, in my opinion, a mixer, a guy to mix this stuff, because that's, you know, you know how critical, you know, mixing. Yeah, the mix sounds great on it. The whole production sounds great. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. That I mean, we really, really just tried to leave no stone unturned when it came to the production on this. I really, you know, and after after Greg passed, I said, you know what? At that point, I, I had an I had an affiliation with the guys at this place, Voodoo Studios, over in Freeport. Um, they cut all the guitars. They cut and, and and helped me produce all the vocals. It was uh, this guy Rich did all my vocals. It was absolutely phenomenal working with him. Our acoustic stuff and the solos were done by this guy named Steve Book out of his home studio, which is called Porcelain God, uh, over in, I think, Limbrook. And um, then we sent the whole thing over to, uh, to Madsen over in Denmark because basically, I mean, I thought I kind of figured between him, we always had kind of a European sound. That was always what we kind of went for, and he just got that. So between him and Andy Sneap, those were the two guys that I was like, you know, one of these two, I, I would just cross my fingers and I sent some emails out and two was like, yeah, I want to do this. And it was just amazing. I mean, I was so, so psyched to have him pick this up and, and want to roll with it. And is this whole project kind of like you going back in a way to take care of unfinished business? Because, I mean, you guys were a really well-respected band that was pretty heavy on the tape trading scene back in, I would say, what, the mid to late 80s. And you never really did an official release, is that correct? We did do we did two demos, uh, albeit the second one was a pretty high end demo. Um, we did two demos, and I just uh, Joey and I just felt like this is a piece of unfinished business in our life. So yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that's basically that's exactly what it is. I mean, we just we just wanted to say we wa- we wanted something. That, that, that was the definitive Maelstrom piece, and we wanted to be able to check that off our life list, to be honest with you. I mean, that was the big, that was a lot of what this was. It's kind of evolved into something even more than just a personal thing, you know, that, that we wanted to say, yeah, we did, because it seems to be really getting well received in the press, you know, and especially after we decided, let's go, let's go full blown, let's really get to Madsen to wrap himself around this and, and make it his own as well. At, at that point, we had, we had so much so much time effort and and dollars invested that it was just like you know what this is this has become more than just a you know a, a personal journey i mean it definitely started that way and it it still is because it's so it's so heavy and intrinsic to my heart but you know it's it's just kind of become more now you know? very cool up oh, the fish and chips has arrived here at mustang sally's so Let's get into a little music right now, and then we'll come back and talk some more. What should we start off the uh, Talking Metal listeners with here? I would say we got to start them off with the way this, this uh, venture starts. It's, uh, it's got to be a rise. That's the track. And I, I'd like to say that I, what I'd love for you guys to do is, um, if you want, uh, I know you guys sometimes truncate tracks and stuff, but if you want, you can have my permission to play the whole thing, and you, you'll be the debut of this song. You know, I would love to do that. Okay, here it is, Maelstrom Arise in its entirety here on Talking Metal.
is regretted Let the dash forgotten past This is the course the planet
that was Arise. Where can people pick this up? It will be on iTunes, or it is on iTunes? Uh, by the time this podcast is, re- is public, it will be on iTunes. It's uh, currently on Shockhound. They can be picked up on Amazon Music. Uh, there will be links up on our MySpace to, to all of these. And um, uh, the hard copy CD will be available I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping December possibly January I'll, I'll have the final hard copy CD and what we're looking to do right now is I'm looking to part of why it's been taking longer than I anticipated was because we just got so into the artwork and the artist is so phenomenal but it's taken a little bit longer than what we had anticipated and I'm also trying to get some distribution deal in through some people that I know from way back when in the European scene and I'm trying to get something going with um, actually FYE over here. So Now, a great place for any Talking Metal listeners who are interested in learning the whole history and, and it, it, Martin Popoff basically is what I'm talking about. He really spells out your whole history in these, I guess, liner notes. Yeah, they will be used as liner and uh, it's a great read. Is there some place people can go and read this online? Yes, the entire set of liner notes is actually published up on our MySpace page, which is uh, should I give the MySpace page? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, www.myspace.com/slash/metalmalstrom. The entire Martin Popoff set of liner notes, everything that he wrote about us, which wound up being this incredible three-page, you know. Manifesto interview, you know, expose pretty much that he wrote on us. Uh, it is published up there along with our bio as well, is, is both of those that are published up there on our MySpace page right now. Now, all the guys that are with you, Joey and Daniel, uh, were not the original band. Joey was, Joey but, was. But, but Daniel was not. Where did you find Daniel? We found Danny through Joe. Uh, Danny was a teacher at. Joey's Music School. Joey owned the music school for uh, a couple of years, and Danny was one of the instructors. Uh, Joe is a real phenomenal player. I mean, he's he's a guest lecturer at Juilliard School of Music, and uh, Danny just, uh, he's a young kid. He was probably about 24 when we picked him up, and you know he knew Joe, obviously, through the school, and he just wanted to do anything that Joe was, was involved with. He just wanted to get involved in, too, and uh, he just, he had the did the work ethic he had the chops he had the ability and he just had like really the passion to to do this originally we were looking around for a while i mean our our original journey for for a drummer started started even a few years before we found dan i mean just kind of like tooling around on the internet looking for people you know craigslist kind of stuff i actually even sent an email to sean reinert um of uh death and cynic and you know and um you know he, you know he, he was doing some other things at that time. So you know, and we didn't really have, uh, you know, not too many people knew about what we were trying to do at that point. But uh, when we found Dan, it just all clicked. It was just a, it was just beautiful. That's how we found them. Have you heard much from the old fans from back in the day? And is there any excitement among them? You know, through the MySpace page, and and now the news is getting out that you guys are back. Yeah, actually, uh, some of our some of our old closer friends, uh, you know, obviously have heard some of this stuff and they, they kind of know what's going on. 
Uh, and they're all very excited because they're, they're just like, wow, you've taken this just to a whole nother level, N- not just in production, but just in, in terms of the virtuosity of it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so much more layered than it was the first time around. There's, there's, so, much more, there's so much more musicality to it. Uh, and uh, there's, there's really just so much intense passion with it right now. So we got a lot of good, you know, a lot of good kudos from, from our, our, our local friends that we still have. But outside of that, it's very interesting because through the MySpace, I've wound up seeing these people from, I, I just got some comments from a guy from Belgium a couple days ago who said, you know, I, I considered your second demo, which was called This Battle to Make History, Yet History Never Comes, that he, he said it was, you know, he said such great things about it. You know, it was one of the best tech technical thrash, technical death metal demos of, of, of back in, you know, he thought ever, you know. So we've gotten a bunch of that. And I just got an email today from this guy named Roman, who uh, he has a website called Forgotten Steel. And he, he was actually one of the guys who I feel was pretty, he, he was kind of one of the guys that gave us a bit of a kick in the ass to get this going again. Because he, he was one of the people who actually posted up and held for years a review of our, of our tape. And, um, you know, just kind of one of the last things he said was it was such a shame that these guys never really, you know, came to fruition, put out the full length and stuff because it would just be such a thrash metal feast, he had said. And um, that kind of gave us a kick in the ass. I just got an email from him because he just got the, the pre-release, the press pre-release, and he was just blown away by it. He was just I, I like that thrash metal feast because it is a feast. I mean, you get so much stuff hitting you on these tracks, and the musicianship is just insane. Talk a little bit about Joey and and just where this guy learned to play like that. Well, um, I, I'll absolutely love to talk about Joey, but you know, I, maybe someday we can ha- you know do this again and have him back. Unfortunately, he's out of the country right now. But um, Joe, I, Joe's been playing since probably a few years before I know him, so he's probably been playing since he was about fifteen. He, he's just incredible. You know, he's, he's one of those types of people that, that just, when he puts his mind to something, he doesn't ever stop. You know, he, he, he still practices about three to four hours a day, and he's in medical school right now. So he just doesn't, he just doesn't ever, ever, ever stop. When I first met them, when I say them, it's Joey and our original drummer, John. Uh, it was back in the summer of 88, and... They were both going, they, they asked me to join the band, and they said, you know, we're doing this project, we'd love for you to sing. And uh, the next thing I know, they said, okay, but we're going to be gone for, the, for about six weeks to two months. We're going to Berkeley. So, I mean, jo- you know, Joey took the, uh, uh, he, took some, he took some of the summer programs up at, he took a summer program up at Berkeley. After that, I know he went to a place called Stecker and Horowitz School of Classical Arts, uh, classical guitar, something like that. Uh, and he just, you know, he's just, he, Joe just needs to play. And, but, you know, from that need to play, he just, he just continuously, continuously improves. He just does not stop practicing. He does not stop taking lessons. He, he, he's, you know, he still takes lessons. Even when he comes back, you know, he takes lessons. Very cool. And will there be any live performances with the uh, release of the CD? Well, that's probably the question we've gotten most from anybody that we've, we've known from in the past. Um, I'll tell you, Mark, my honest opinion is, is that if there's going to be anything that we're going to do live, it's got to be really special. I, 
I, I did the route of playing, you know, playing the places in the city for, you know, more people on stage than there are in this, in this, you know, in the then there are fans and, and those fans are the band that's coming on next and they're hoping you're going to stick around you know right. just so that no, I've been there man I've been there but then again we've also played some some phenomenal shows where there's you know 400 people jammed into a place that can't hold more than 75 legally so but I, I honestly believe that the, the stuff that Maelstrom's going to do if we're going to do something live it's got to be something real special that, that people are going to want to attend that, that's going to be special for the fans uh, there's a lot of stuff going on on this music-wise, and we're gonna. I, I would think we're gonna need to get a second guitarist, and of course we need a bass player. Um, outside of that, a lifelong goal of mine has been to do a uh, a, a short, you know, three to five week European tour, centered possibly around Germany. I would love to do some of the festivals in Germany. I also have always had a dream of uh, doing an opening run for Creator. So if something like that ever came up, I, I, that I would have to jump on. But that, that's, that's, what I'm, that's still what I'm hoping for. Very cool. And the artwork, by the way, looks just great. Um, brings back to me like kind of the classic album cover, heavy metal look about it. Who did the artwork? The artwork was done by this absolutely phenomenal artist named Jan Yurland from uh, a company called Dark Grove Design. It is his company, uh, and he's based out of Finland. Uh, here again, I kind of thought that I, I, I just I wanted to go with with somebody who got that, you know, who who seemed to get that old style, fantasy driven kind of kind of look. And um, it just so happens to be that a lot of the people that 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 really that really are tied into that kind of thing come from Northern Europe, you know. And he's just. He's just phenomenal. I actually found him looking first for a, a website designer. He had done Manowar's website, and I really dug that. So um, I, I just I, then I realized he did CD covers, and it just kind of kind of evolved from there. And you know, he he did our stuff, and it's just I just couldn't be happier with it. I'm I'm a huge fan of fantasy and a huge fan of fantasy artwork. Uh, I love the old Boris Vallejo kind of stuff, and you know, all, all that all that old fantasy dragon swords type of type of type of stuff so i'm through the artwork i'm also i do i do artwork and i do art directing creative direct all of this stuff because uh, i used to do the artwork back in the demo days back in 88 and 89 but i just you know he, he he's just so much better and i just didn't have any anywhere near the time but i get to kind of live out those fantasies of of what i've always dreamed of fantasy artwork should be through, through this, and he's just been such a pleasure to work with. Very cool. Well, guys, we're going to have full links up to Maelstrom on TalkingMetal.com in today's show notes. We'll have those iTunes links up. Use those to go and open your iTunes, and it'll take you right to the Maelstrom page where you can download these tracks and show some support to not only Maelstrom but Talking Metal because those links do help us. How was ACDC last night? You checked the show out? I did check the show out. Uh, ACDC last night was... It's the first time I ever saw them. I was... N- I'm not the biggest ACDC fan, so maybe I-, I might not be the best person to ask about that. I thought that the front end of the show could have had a little bit more energy. I was kind of expecting a little bit a little bit more. I thought the back end of the show was fantastic. From the time Hell's Bells came on till the end, they, 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 it seemed like all of a sudden they just they flipped the switch and, and just turned it on. Uh, also from a 
just stage production standpoint and stuff, it was some of the best, like, pyrotechnics and, and inflatables and lights, light rig and stuff like that that I've seen. You know, it's, it's, that was fantastic. But I, I, maybe, you know, they were coming off another show at the Garden. You know, these guys are in their 50s and stuff. So, I mean, maybe maybe I was just expecting a little bit more. But, I mean, you know, ACDCs, they're solid. It's just hard rocking, heavy hitting, you know, good catchy stuff. So, you know, it was good. Cool, cool. And congratulations on the birth of your son. We, we have sons born, I guess, within a few weeks of each other. Yeah, we do. And congratulations to you, too. That's uh, that's phenomenal. It's a, uh, you know, great coincidence. And it's uh, it's an amazing, amazing event. This is our this is our second child, Dawn and I's second child, and um, I, I mean, we couldn't be happier. It's just uh, it, it's just such an amazing thing to see that you know you you as a legacy is just passing on and moving on. It's just amazing, incredible thing. It really is cool. Well, Gary, definitely come back on the show when Joey's in town because we'd love to uh, talk to him about some of his great guitar playing, which you guys can hear on the new stuff by Maelstrom. And these are all classic songs, right? These are, Or are there any ones that are, are newer? The songs on this current EP, which is going to be available, which is the first stuff that we have available and what's being reviewed right now in, uh, in the trade pubs and in the magazines, is uh, all classic material. All this stuff was written between 1988 and 1990. Uh, basically, the new stuff that's going to be, there's probably be... Th- I'll say two and a half new tracks when the full-length album comes out because we're kind of we're kind of stripping one track and using part of it. Front end of it is going to be used, and the back end of it's going to be used, and the whole middle guts is going to be new. So you could say you could say you could say three new tracks when the album comes out that nobody's ever heard. Very cool. We'll look forward to that, and let's get an ID from you, and we'll wrap things up here with some more music. Absolutely, Mark. But just before I do that, I'd love to give a shout-out to some of the guys and my friends that I've become on your fantastic Talking Metal forum. Anybody out there that's not on that forum board, you got to start posting. you got to get up there, and you got to support John and Mark. They're doing just, just such an incredible thing for the whole scene. They've given us this opportunity. And uh, I'd like to say hello to some of the guys that have you know, posted for me, posted to me. We've talked back and forth. So uh, big what's up and horns high to... Exciter, Z-Man, Hideous, Shotaholic, of course, your partner, John. And uh, I'd also like to uh, mention how important it's been for, for me to have the incredible support of my wife, Dawn. She's just been absolutely phenomenal through this journey. I mean, it's been, she's given up at least one vacation and um, probably, uh, Oh God, I can't even imagine. You know, maybe two two full vacations, and God knows how many trips to, you know, things that she should be doing for herself. Because you know, this is this has been this has been a lot of time and a lot of money. She's just been this wonderful, wonderful support, and uh, she actually is also uh, she does all the female vocals for us. So she's actually on this disc too, and that's my wife Dawn. And uh, yeah, let's get an ID, right? Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Thanks for joining us, and yeah, we'll check out here with an ID. All right, guys, this is Gary Vasganian from Maelstrom, and you're listening to Talking Metal, the world's greatest heavy metal podcast.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.